My wife and I moved to Chicago area last August. And because we had housing that was already available for us in Wheaton, we ended up there. But we knew this. We knew that when we moved to Chicago, we wanted to be part of a community like this. And uh, so we traveled down here with great joy uh, to be part of this place. Our ministry experiences have oftentimes been in monocultural ministry settings. And we just said, as hard as we tried to work on that in the settings we were in, we don't even have to work here, right? So here we are together in this place. You heard about Beth. She's been a part of some of the vision and direction of new community in regards to what does it mean for us to bless other people. And part of that, that BLESS acronym, is to listen to people's lives. So I've been having a conversation with the guy in my life that God has given me to bless. And uh, Chuck is helping us with some construction projects. And uh, Chuck and I were just talking this week about his experience in church context. And he says, Mark, when I go to church, he says, the person in charge gives a homily, and if it goes over five minutes, I'm asleep. And I said, I, I thought to myself, well, that means if Chuck would come here on a regular Sunday, he'd have like five or six naps, wouldn't he? <laughs> so, but I, I, I just wish he would come because there is something about opening God's word, isn't it? And that's one of the other things that we really love about being here too, is that this is a place where people take up this book and um, trust that as we open it, it doesn't matter who it is that's up in front. Uh, God actually speaks through his word. So I would like uh, us to just particularly ask for that, and that you would pray for me in that regard too, so that beyond the words I say, uh, we would hear what God has to say. There are some misunderstandings, aren't there, about what the Bible says, actually. In fact, I would guess that Chuck, I'll probably have to ask him this week, what parts of these actually came from the Bible? So let's kind of do this. God helps those who help themselves, right? It just sounds so religious, doesn't it? And we know, you know what, you page through this book and you won't find it anywhere. You know, or there is the one, cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, my mom used that one on me. But I looked, and it's, it, it, it isn't in here. And, and then there's another one. It is, it is the safest place to be at the center of God's will. Boy, that one sounds particularly holy, doesn't it? You won't find it. In fact, we know stories of brothers and sisters all over the world in the center of God's will that find these are high stakes, high risk, hard places that break people's lives. And some of us, some of you are in those places, aren't you? It's not necessarily safe. And then there's this other one. It is that God wants us to be a good Samaritan. Now, that one's a little bit harder, and I'm just going to kind of mess with you on that one a bit because you say, well, it is in there. It's right there in Luke 10, and we're going to turn to it in a little bit. That God does want us to be a good Samaritan. But what in the world is a good Samaritan? What is it that God actually wants us to be? And I want to look at that a little bit more this morning. That word, we just throw it around. Beth and I were on a 4th of July bike ride, and we were meeting our family afterwards. And in front of us on the bike on the, on the road, there was a guy, 85-year-old guy, who had uh, popped a tire. And he was having a terrible time with it. And so I stopped and helped him out. And we got to the restaurant. And Beth says, your dad was a good Samaritan. And I was just thinking about this text, actually just kind of wrestling with it. God, what is in this story? What is this parable all about? And I realized that's the way we use that word, doesn't it? That a Samaritan is somebody who helps a person in need, right? 
In fact, we actually have a whole series of, of language around it. Uh, in, uh, I, I went really deep in my research on this. I went to yourdictionary.com. <laughs> and I found this one. If we can put that up on the screen there. A good, the Good Samaritan Law says this. It's a law that exempts from legal liability a person who attempts to give reasonable aid to another person who is injured, ill, or otherwise imperiled. And you say, well, yeah. I mean, that's what the story of the Good Samaritan is about. We put laws around this story in our culture, and we've decided that's what this story is about. But let me ask you a question. What if yourdictionary.com misunderstood the story? What if they did? Well, they're relying on all of the law and all of the tradition and all of the storytelling that we have as a culture. What if we're wrong? What if it isn't about that? So I'm pretty sure I'm going to mess with you on a really familiar story this morning. You all right with that one? So let's look at Luke chapter 10. I typically pull out my smartphone when I'm in here, um, but I got this so I just have some credibility, right? This one's a big one. So let's look at Luke chapter 10 if you've got it uh, in, on your lap in front of you or on your smartphone. And I want to just read the story and then let's dig into it a little bit, okay? So Luke chapter 10 beginning in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, <clears throat> who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged, bandaged his wounds, pouring, in oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So this is an interesting story. The first four sentences consist of three questions. It starts with three questions at the beginning of the narrative. In fact, the very end of the narrative is a question as well. So I want to just construct our conversation this morning around four questions. I wonder if God wants to ask us as we look at this text and as we consider what it means to apply it. All right? 
The first question is this. What if the application isn't to be a nicer person? What if Jesus here isn't actually encouraging us to be nice? Now that's going to be a disappointment for some of you who are parents of young kids in the crowd, right? Because, I mean, this is like perfect Sunday school material. We pull this out, we want our kids to be nice, and you pull out the Good Samaritan, and you use it over and over again. I mean, we did. But what if that's not what it's about? We just have this desire to make it be about something nice. This is like Mr. Rogers' encouragement to be nicer people in a welcoming neighborhood. Wouldn't you like to be my neighbor? Be really nice like me? Wear clothes like me, maybe. And uh, you can be part of it. But it's just in our popular culture, too. I mean, there's something, there's something said in a society when a bumper sticker says, coexist. Let's be kind to each other. And none of us want to diminish the value of our kids being nice and us being kind in the context of our society. But as we look at this here, we realize this isn't what this story is about. Let me note something here. Do you see what it says in verse 25? On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Luke is giving us a clue as to what this is about. This is a person who comes to Jesus as what? An expert in the law. Whenever we see a descriptor of what the person is like, we know that's what the story is going to be like. The magician come to the apostles, and it's about magic and, and miracles, and can I do it? Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and it's about stuff. Jairus was a ruler, and it's about who's in charge. You see, over and over again, when we look at the text, we actually get a hint as to what this is about. And it doesn't say there was a man trying to be nice who asked Jesus, what does it mean to be nice? In this text, it says there was an expert of the law who came. Jesus was never going to keep this person's attention by quoting Mr. Rogers. This guy was a brilliant-minded person who wanted to know what would be required of him if you become powerful, Jesus. What's the requirement of me? His concern was about compliance, not compassion. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. If I vote for you, if you end up being in charge, what are the rules you're going to require of me? That's the question that he was asking. Don't diagnose my heart, Jesus. That's not the question I asked. I want you to describe the neighborhood. Now, Jesus is okay with this, actually. He doesn't go right to the heart. He says, okay, you want to know what, uh, who your neighbor is? Let me describe for you not the answer to that question, but let me describe for you the neighborhood you live in right now. Why don't we just start there? Let me tell you a story about the rules, written and unwritten, in the world you live in, in the place you call home. And so he starts out not talking about boundary lines, but about character of the place we live, rules, customs that we live by. A man takes a trip along a road, he said, with deserts and caves. They all knew, the, they, they, 
they could contextualize this better than we can. It was a dangerous road. It had a reputation for being dangerous long before Jesus came, about, came along. In fact, there was even a place called the Pass of Adamum, and it's related to the Hebrew word for blood. <laughs> it's a bloody road. And so this man goes down this road, and he, somebody jumps out of a cave or from behind a rock and assaults him and leaves him for dead. And there he is along the side of the road. And then he says, a priest, a religious person passes by, and then a second person who's also religious, a Levite, and a Levite was a person who was an assistant to the priest, appears, and it sounds like in the context of the story that the Levite actually might have even walked closer to do a consultation and figure out how he was really doing. And then he continues to walk by as well, came to the same conclusion, best be moving on. Official, pious, religious leaders had two looks at this man and did nothing to respond. That's the story. The culture had two opportunities to look at this man left for dead in the ditch and they decided there was nothing that they would do. Now, you know, it's interesting in the story, there's no, there's, motive, there's no motive given for why the priest passed by or why the least pre, Levites pre, passed by. There was no motive given. And, you know, I wonder if it was because everybody knew. Everybody just knew. Well, of course. That's, that's the normal thing to do. In fact, scholars just really wrestle with this point. But perhaps that is the point, that even without giving an explanation, we can come up with reasons why we leave somebody fighting for their life at the margins of society. We know those reasons. That person should have known better. Won't do it again. He's going to learn a lesson. I'm just too busy today. I checked, I checked the person over and... I don't have medical training. I, I'm not equipped to help the person. It's just, it's just not something I can do. I, I don't know if I did something whether it would even make any difference at all. What, what, what should we expect from the priest after all? I mean, he's an important person. He's got important stuff going on in his life. Shoot, it's just the way things are. We just kind of live with stuff like this. In fact, there are poets that are talking about this. There was a 19th century British poet named A.H. Clough, and he wrote a book called The Last Decalogue, The, the Last Ten Commandments. And in it, he has this phrase, British phrase, thou shalt not kill, but needs not strive. That's kind of the world we live in now. That's... that's our culture. Well, we're not going to do the bad stuff, but it's okay if, if we just live with the way things are. And we, we pass by these people and we say, it stinks, doesn't it? It just, it just stinks. And if we feel a little twinge of guilt, maybe we'll um, throw something their way. But, but here's the point of the parable. It wasn't simply what was in their hearts that led them to walk by on the other side. It's what was in their heads. I'm sure 
those two would describe themselves as people filled with compassion, wanting to be nice people. But there was something that was going on in their heads that convinced them that not him, not now, not me. Something going on in the head. This is a conversation about one's neighborhood and its norms. About what common practice is, what's normal in a society. And Jesus is walking up to this expert in the law and he says, have I described your neighborhood for you? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Religious people, we care for people, but sometimes people, people end up in the ditch. He says, are you okay with that? Are you okay with a, a society, with a community filled with norms where you can walk around and leave people in ditches? Is that all right with you? You see, before we even get to who is your neighbor, I want you to understand the neighborhood that you have decided to live in. In fact, you call that normal. And it brings us to the second question. What if accepting normal is our problem? What if it's okay with us? What if everyone accepts this is the terrain of the neighborhood? It's just the way it is. Broken people still end up in the ditch. And here, Jesus is preaching to every single one of us. Friends, I can say that. We're, we're in a church together, right? What if he's speaking to every single one of us? What if there are people in my head that I marginalize? In yours, who are they? Who's on the list of, I'm going to care for everybody, but I don't have to give them time. They've got the wrong bumper sticker on the car. They were voted the wrong way. They got, you know, attitudes. That, whatever it is, right? I mean, just pull it out for yourself and say, who is it? that you have decided it's okay to walk away from, to not give time to. We, we know the reason. We just perhaps don't want to say it out loud. It starts with, I'm too busy, whatever it is. And then it is, they're too, whatever that one is. And that's normal. And we live with it. It's not that it cannot be helped. This man actually is helped. It's that he won't be helped by the neighborhood. He can be helped, but he will not be. I'm sorry, our neighborhood has decided that this outcome is simply a regrettable consequence of life as it is. What if normal, our normal, is not his normal? You know, this is what Sean preached about last week, didn't he? The destiny. We want Jesus to come to our place and, 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 and be part of us. And he's inviting us into this, this kingdom. What's normal for the kingdom? And what if my normal isn't humane? <laughs> What if our laws, what if our customs and unwritten rules are actually un incongruent with Christ-likeness, with the character of the kingdom? And we've got those pieces of what if, what if in, 
in my unwritten rules of life, I measure you by the stuff you have. I mean, is that really okay? Well, I do it. Is that Christ-likeness? What if I decide that if you're rude to me, I can be rude to you? What if I decide that if the person on the other end of the helpline can't speak English clearly, I can give her a piece of my mind? And yet we have stories of that, right? It's just kind of, I can't believe who you and who I listened to on the other end of the helpline from such and such an organization, and I gave them a piece of my mind, or just this attitude that's still up inside of us. And, and, and what about these other things that we don't even, we might just be learning about? I am. I just had my son-in-law talk to me about the GI Bill. <laughs> you know, we talking about how transformational it was for our culture in the United States for these primarily young men to come back from fighting in World War II. And when they stood in line and were given opportunities and resources to go to the university, guess what? The conversation was different for Anglos than it was for African Americans. This is documented stuff. And you talk about the homes we live in and what happened with that. What if the terrain of what our culture, our community, our normal has decided is normal is actually a broken thing? So these are the questions that we have to ask too because just as Jesus put in front of the teacher of the law a neighborhood that he couldn't be comfortable with, God puts us in front of our neighborhood, our culture. And in a day like this, in a text like this, he's asking us the same question. Are you really okay with that? Is that really what it's like for our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What if we have settled for normal? And normal is not kingdom. Those are the first two questions, really. What if this isn't about nice? And what if our understanding of normal is broken? And then we get to a third question, and it is this. But first, before we get to it, let's just see what happens in the story. It's escalating now. In fact, in verse 33, there's this first word, but. <laughs> so everything's been described. These questions have been just kind of laid on us. And then Jesus says, but. And he inserts a hero in the story. And who is the hero? I know who I want the hero to be. I want the hero in this story to be someone, but then a passionate follower of Jesus shows up. And that's not who he inserts in the story. Not a person who was on faith, on fire for the Lord, or whatever you want to describe. It's a Samaritan. Some of you may be familiar, the Samaritan, they were the people who were just ostracized. They were on the margins of society. There was, there was big stuff wrong with them. And yet Jesus ushers in the Samaritan and he becomes the hero. Jesus doesn't insert Captain America. Jesus inserts 
a Samaritan. We would expect the story to conclude with, then a genuine follower of Jesus came along and helped this hurting person. Why a Samaritan? Well, we don't know. Uh, but there are two traits of a Samaritan that are worth us being aware of in this story. The first is this. The Samaritan lived outside the neighborhood. All of its norms, all of its rules, all of its expectations didn't live with those. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If we actually didn't live with all of the rules, all of the expectations, all of the pressure of the neighborhood we live in. So this Samaritan is completely outside of all of that construct of whatever it is that's been created. And they walk in with fresh eyes to be able to actually see broken people in ditches. But there's another aspect of the Samaritan, and that's that the Samaritan's qualifications were not religious qualifications. He, it was not that he was religious, it's that he was human. <laughs> that's it. He was just simply human. And that brings us to the third question I want to ask. What if the point is not to be more religious, but to be more human? And I, I'm using religious, obviously, in a particular way. Religion as an attempt to standardize behavior. Do this and God will like you. Watch out for that because he's going to get really mad. You know, Christian equals compliance and kindness. You know, that kind of a religious stuff. Make sure you're nice and make, make sure you comply. So, but what if that's not what this is all about? I've been here long enough. Peter preaches this. We say amen to it. Yes, that's not what it means to be Christian. In this story, Jesus is going further than that. And he says, it's not about, it's not about compliance and it's not about compassion. It's about just being human. I'm not asking you to be a Christian. I'm asking you to just be what you were made to be. Well, I wonder what that is. We just turn back, actually, to the first couple chapters of this book, and we discover what it means to be human. Jesus, God, God creates men and women in his image to be like him and to walk with him, to be in fellowship with him. That's what human is. To be made in the image of God so certain things resonate with us and to walk with God. Well, we know the story. That broke down and God had to intervene and, 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 and heal that brokenness. And that's why we've got this cross right here. Because without that, we can't walk close with God. There's too much broken stuff in us. It's beyond our capacity to be able to do it. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God actually helps those who say help. That's, that's what this is about. And those who say help walk with God into a relationship, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is and what he's done. And he says he walks with us and he empowers us. Guess what he else does? He gives us the capacity to see things that we can't see apart from him. We see stuff inside of us that's broken, and we see stuff outside of us that's broken. And then he urges us to walk into those places like the Good Samaritan, because we're human. To walk with Jesus is actually the most human we can ever be. Jesus did not come to prescribe behavior, but to restore 
the kingdom. This story is more than being generous. This story is more than pay it forward. This story is overthrow of civilization as we know it. This is a story of overthrow. Let me see if I give you another example of it. Just this past week, Beth and I were down in Florida. Beth's dad passed just a couple of days ago, and it was a really tough time. It was more unexpected than we had imagined it would be, and, and he was in hospice. And we walked into this hospice facility. It's in Florida, and so, you, you know, air conditioning is on full bore. We walk into this place, and it feels like it's 65 degrees, and everybody's just trying to stay warm. And you know what we can do? We can, act, we, we can actually go find some blankets and, and, and put them around people. And we went to the people in charge of the facility, and they said, well, it's just kind of the way we keep the temperature. Now, being kind is passing out blankets. Changing a kingdom, overthrow, is going to the thermostat and changing the temperature in the room. You see, so being kind is a good thing to do. But God is actually inviting us into more than that. He's inviting us into overthrow. He's inviting us to look at the community around us and say, where is the thermostat? And what can be changed? And it's, it's true for everyone. Notice what Jesus asked at the end. Who is the person? Who was the neighbor? And, and he says, The one who showed mercy. Do you know what the definition of mercy is? It's a person in power who overrides the system in place. That's what mercy is. It's a person in power who overrides the system in place. That's possible for every one of us. It's possible for our young people who are in high school. It's possible for us when we get older and they feel like we have less power. Whatever it is, you've got power. Mercy is a person in power who overrides the system in place. And that brings us really to our fourth question, which is a question of application. What if there's something in your neighborhood that God wants to change. And let me just be as practical as I can on this and put it into three categories. One is, you know, our neighborhood extends to our colleagues in our workplace or the people we hang out with, our companions. What about that neighborhood, friends? The place where you work or the place where you go to school or the people you hang out with after school? or after work. What, what is the temperature in that room? Is it characterized by sarcasm? Is it characterized by blame? Do you all look and think just the same? Do you see, how could God might want to walk alongside of you in changing the temperature of that place? What does that look like? What does it mean for us to have mercy, to be people with power that change the system in place? I want to give you an example of it. It's our daughter, Kate. When she was her senior year in high school, 
she started an organization. I think part of it was because it looks really good on a resume when you're trying to get into college. But this was part of what resonated with Kate, too. She started an organization called AOK, Acts of Kindness. And they were doing a fundraiser, and so they bought a whole bunch of roses and invited people to pay a dollar for them and give them to people in the high school over Valentine's Day or Valentine's Week that you wanted to just share, tell them that you loved them or you cared about them, you thought they were great. And so she picked a dozen out, and she looked around, and she said, who am I going to give these roses to? And, and there was a young man in her class with disabilities who was on the margins. He was kind of okay if he stayed in his place, but he, he didn't fit with the cool kids. And um, she thought, I just want him to know that he matters. And he gave her, he gave, she gave him a rose. And so he trapes up and down the hallway. This is a massive school. And he's, Kate Severson gave me a rose. I'm a valentine, I'm a valentine. And uh, I don't know how Kate felt about that, but I know what, <laughs> I know how Kate's sister felt about that. I, but, but, but Kate's friends started looking at her and say, that was cool. I hadn't thought about it. That was pretty cool. And you see, the act of kindness was the rose. The act of revolution was what happens in the culture of her friends. What transpired after that is this young man decided that Kate was in love with her or something like that and invited her to high school senior prom. And she came home and told us that she said yes to this young man, to which a younger sister who thought Kate was, you know, the big deal, cool girl. She said, you did what? And what happened with that is not only it was Kate and this young man, but Kate's friends. And they all decided, we're doing this together. She came back from prom and she said, I've never had so much fun dancing in my life. You see, God wants us to override the system, to change the temperature in these places. That's colleagues and that's companions. There's another one, and it's communities. You know, what about the communities around us? And what does it look like? I want to show you a picture of uh, a storefront in our, our community. And this is in Wheaton. And, uh, you know, you think, boy, I mean, how many churches are there in Wheaton, right? But look at this kind of storefront here. And you can see on the left-hand side of it, love everyone always, great sign. And then on the right-hand side of it, can we take the, put, go to the next picture? Here it is. We went back to Vietnam. I mean, it's the same, it's the same storefront. And, you think, and then, oh, so let me explain that we went back to Vietnam. There was a Vietnam restaurant in this place, Vietnamese restaurant in this place. And um, they had a terrible time with the landlord and got kicked out. And they actually ended up on the other side of the street, great restaurant. And Beth and I were over there for lunch one day, and we said, you know, what happened? Oh, well, we had a really tough time with them, and, and can, can you believe that? They're, I mean, they're, <laughs> they live in our neighborhood. They're citizens, our community. And yet, the landlord put this sign up to disparage them and to say, you don't even belong. Go back to where you came from. And there it is, in Wheaton, Illinois. Now, as wonderful as a place like Wheaton might be, 
That's brokenness. There's something about a culture that says we can have churches on corners and we can say love everybody and we can put up a sign, go back to Vietnam. That's my neighborhood. I'm starting to have conversations because one of the things that God has prompted me to do is, Mark, I want you to figure out how that sign comes down. Because that's a sign of brokenness. What's it like in your community? What do you see around you that God actually might invite you to engage in in some place? And then there's this third aspect of it, and it has to do with our callings and our careers. Some of you are fairly young in your careers. What if God actually wants you to change thermostats? What if God actually wants you to take your career and your giftedness and your experiences and your intellect and change communities, change the terrain? What would that look like? We know, God knows, we need to engage in our society in such a way that thy kingdom come, thy will be done, happens not only as we hang out with friends and live in neighborhoods, but happens in the rules and the norms of the society we live in. Samaritans change temperatures. One more thing. This is our mission statement. And we read it together at the beginning of every week. I want us to read it again with what God just spoke to us about. You ready? Let's go ahead and read it. We seek to be a city within a city, an alternate Chicago that passionately loves Jesus Christ, intentionally engages in authentic community, and radically advances the cause of Jesus. Do you see that in Luke chapter 10? God invites us to see it in our lives. Caring for others is not an uncommon appeal, and it has its merit. Revolution as we walk with Jesus is our life calling. Kate still knows this young man. She runs into him every once in a while. He survived the school environment that his teachers feared would set his life on another trajectory. And we've had conversations with the, teachers in, with the teacher in that school. He survived a school environment that teachers feared would set his life on another trajectory. Just because there was this impulse that welled up inside of Kate, this is not the way things should be. What will well up inside of us? Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you so much for your love for us and your longing to walk with us and this wonderful opportunity you give us to be part of changing trajectories of people and places. And so I pray that you would help us as individuals and as a church to listen and follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.